Hello and welcome to the 905er podcast. My name is Roland Tanner. I am Joel McLeod. And it's a Tuesday uh, 905er roundup this week. Um, and uh, a couple of stories um, that have uh, been in the newspapers of the last few days. Uh, starting off with Halton District School Board and, well, that story um, that just won't go away. <laughs> Joel, what's the latest? Uh, well, it, it, I guess in case you haven't been paying attention, um, a brief uh, uh, history for those so we're all on the same page. So uh, last year, a photo surfaced uh, in, uh, in the media of a teacher, a shop teacher at Oakville Trafalgar School, who, who it was an identified uh, trans woman teacher who was, wearing, who was sported wearing very large uh, uh, fake breasts uh, in, in the shop class. And naturally, it caught the, uh, the attention of a large swath of the population, large swath of media. Lots of protests happened uh, because of it and even drew the attention of the Freedom Convoy, I don't know what you call it, the, the convoy people showed up to protest and, 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 and whatnot inside the school. Uh, and it ultimately it led to, bizarrely enough, the Halton District School Board saying, no, we can't do anything about it because there's no dress code, to now saying, okay, now we're going to implement a dress code. And along the way has seemingly just made a mess of the entire process from start to finish. Um, so the last week uh, at the, at a board meeting, the board came up with a tentative policy uh, dress code policy, which a lot of the, a lot of critics, a lot of parents were saying, this is not a concrete policy. It was a, a one, one person said, basically it's a word salad with no teeth, no power um, and, and whatnot. And, the, the plan is for this policy to go back to uh, the development stage and it'll be brought forward at a, few, at a later meeting to be uh, uh, voted on by the, by the board. But basically what, what we're kind of puzzled at is like, why are we even at this stage? Um, this should be, in my, in my opinion, at least, this really should have been an open and shut case of just saying, yeah, we don't have a dress code, our bad. Okay, we'll develop one. Uh, same dress code for uh, uh, the students are now is now uh, applied to teachers or something akin to that. Um, and, you know, professional wear, uh, pra- professional practical w- uh, clothing at, uh, at the, in the, for the teachers at the, at, at the school. Uh, and that, that's it open and shut case. And, we move on. Instead, this has been like six months now, or, or I'm estimating, but that six months of just this bizarre self-inflicted wounds on the Halton District School Board that, I, quite frankly, I'm, I'm puzzled as to why, I am puzzled as to why we're, we're talking about this at all. Yeah, I'm puzzled why we're talking about this at all. Um I hate this story. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. It, it, um, I mean, it, it it's just there's just no good side to it. Um, I think I think and we were talking about this before we came on, and we're we're in sort of disagreement about it. And I, I'm willing to say I don't know for sure. My feeling has been for for a while that it's not meant to be the job of the of the 
you know, in the way that our system is set up, the school board, which yes, is the employer of teachers uh, and manages the schools. Uh, there's the Ministry of Education, which oversees the whole thing. Uh, there are the unions who represent teachers' interests with their employer, with the ministry and with any other body. And there's the Ontario College of Teachers, which is kind of standards and disciplinary um, entity. Um, it's meant to regulate standards and it's meant to, you know, um, if someone is, um, does something completely inappropriate, um, well, you know, a teacher who is teaching inappropriate things or behaving inappropriately towards students, that would go to the Ontario College of Students. So I kind of feel that they're really, you know, we're, we're, everybody's looking at the school boards to fix this issue. And, well, well for a number of reasons, I, I think the school board, it's not really their job. I mean, it's kind of sort of maybe sort of their job, but I don't really think it's their job. And I think this is why they, they come out with something completely ineffectual, because they're bound by legislation by collective bargaining by all kinds of other things that they don't have power over so they come up with something saying what they can do which is like oh we'd really like it if people didn't wear crazy things to teach which is about as strong as they can probably put it is I my feeling i could be wrong i i'm going to disagree with you because i don't think this is the ontario college of teachers isn't the governing body here they they would license a teacher and they would you can go if a teacher decided to stop teaching facts, like the example I came up with is, that, you know, in history, um, if a if a, if a teacher decided to, uh, you know, go like the Ernst Sundle route and, and, and pronounce uh, and, and say like the Holocaust wasn't as bad as it as it was, or that the Holocaust didn't happen at all, which it did. Then you take that teacher to the Ontario College teacher said they cannot they cannot have a license to teach in Ontario schools anymore, and that's what that's what they would govern. Um, you know, if you start teaching, you know, uh, E does not equal MC squared. So, well, no, it does. Like why? Or if you're playing favorites to one student over another, you could go and and try and uh, discipline that way. But in terms of um, the actual employment standard, so. The school board is the one who dictates. Okay, this is how the schools operate. That in our system, that's how the the school. That's what the school board does. They say schools are open from this time to that time. They say that the schools uh, are are you know they they employ the teacher and they say the teacher will conduct themselves accordingly. If if a teacher is found to be uh, Let's say the worst case scenario, teachers is found to be abusing a student. We don't take that to the Ontario College of Teachers. Yes, you do. Well, you, you do. I'm just going to read out some. I'm going to read out some decisions here. So you can go to the Ontario College of Teachers website, and they have the results of disciplinary hearings. So here is. I'm not going to name the name of the person, but I believe they were found guilty um, in 2002. So it's a long time ago. Um, and against a given teacher, they found that he had committed acts that, having regard to all circumstances, would reasonably be regarded by members as disgraceful, dishonorable, or unprofessional, contrary to Ontario regulation, blah, blah. He engaged in contact on becoming a member, contrary to Ontario regulation, blah, blah, blah. Um, he verbally abused a student 
or psychologically, emotionally, blah, blah, blah. So there's a whole bunch of, st- I mean, those are quite vague statements, actually. And, and it goes on uh, page after page to sort of say, but I mean, that's the kind of discipline. It's like, is, yeah, has yeah. this person contravened the standards? But he, of- he, but he loses his license wrong. He doesn't lose, like, he loses his license, but it's his employment is still part of that school board. The school board then has grounds to terminate him or her employment because you're no longer licensed and we can't have a non-licensed teacher in. But here, here's, here's the thing. Parents are, I, it, regardless of that, the, the Ontario, the Halton district school board then has still agreed, but we're going to wade into it because they're saying, no, we're going to have a meeting on this. If they were, if they were completely powerless, not, they, they do not have a dress code for teachers. They are completely powerless on this front for whatever reason. That's all they had to say. Say it's not us. Go take it with the Ontario College of Teachers and deflect it up the ch- up the ladder. But they didn't, and they took it upon themselves to say we're going to have multiple uh, m- multiple meetings on this to hash out a policy. They they've taken it upon themselves. They're going to write a policy governing this. Is this like so? To me, regardless whether or not they they the Ontario whoever. Ultimately, whether it's the ministry, the college, or, or whatever, I think it comes down to no. The the minister, the board is the employer on record here. They have a right to say these are the standards to which we will employ you. Nobody would, nobody can be, nobody's going to be employed and say, well, yeah, we're going to we're going to take your employment up with this other body over here. Yeah, but I think like the entire yeah. college is whether you license to call license to teach in this province or not. That's it. They don't say. Decades and decades of practice have shown that school boards basically have no power to discipline teachers and no power to terminate employment of teachers uh, because those things have all been collectively bargained one way or the other, um, which is fine. I mean, I think that's probably as it should be. And it's completely inappropriate for school board X to have different standards than school board Y. I mean, why on earth would... Halton have a dress code saying you can't wear this, and then Hamilton might have a dress code saying, "Well, you can wear loon pants and 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 fright they wigs." Do it, they do it all the time. Halton Catholic, <laughs> Halton Catholic has a has a um, uh, dress like they have uh, uniforms for their students. And yeah, they, but, but they, students is not it's not staff students students and children. No, but, they, but they have different standards across the across the 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 gamut. I don't man. see why I don't see why one board. I, I agree. Like there probably should be a uniform code across the entire province. I, you know, here's the thing: maybe, maybe there are, are other boards in this province that do have dress codes for teachers, and we don't hear about it because, yeah, that's you know, there's not a problem there. We know exactly what's what's happening. Maybe, maybe, and maybe this person chose. I don't know. There's been all kinds of rumors. I'm not going to repeat the rumors that have been out there, albeit they've been said on the radio by fairly prominent people. I have no idea of the truths or otherwise this whole thing. I mean, I think it just comes back to the same problem we've seen every time we deal with school board issues, which is the school board, whether it's the Catholic board or the public board or any of the other boards, um, legislating on things, they either shouldn't have the power to legislate on, pride flag, um, or aren't qualified to, to legislate on, pride flag, you know, or anything else. Uh, this is a committee that should be, you know, dealing with things like budgeting and whatever. And sure, they should have, as an employer, they're entitled to have 
their expectations. I just think, don't think they're uh, enforceable because that kind of thing is handled through collective bargaining, through through higher level uh, uh, management, and that's as it actually should be. And like once again, the problem with all these debates is like, why the hell are we even having this discussion at a school board level when the ministry, with a sweep of a pen, could solve the whole thing? Um, now, fact is that the you know, if if the ministry starts telling teachers what to do, the, the unions are going to want to get involved, but that's fine. That's the level that those kind of discussions and, and debates should happen. Uh, the school boards are impotent um, uh, you know, in, in doing stuff that's to do with ethics and uh, you know, general standards and all, all this kind of nonsense that they really have no business even looking at. Um, it's the farce of the school board system all over again. It's kind of how I see it. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm on the, I'm a bit on the fence in terms of doing away with school boards or not. I kind of, I see, I, I can, I can understand the the a drastic re addressing of powers more to the more to the provincial level. I, I but here, alas, here we are. I mean, that we're we're we are where we are because right now school boards do have. The ability to do that, and there's and the ministry is not taking it upon themselves, um, for that reason. I I would dare say. I I I am puzzled though. Why like. The school board should be able to handle this. They really should, like, they should. They well, should be, but, I mean, what what's the school going to build? When was the last time you heard of a teacher being fired? And who fired them? Because it uh, wasn't a bit of school board, I, as far as I can see. Well, I can I can think of a school. Well, there was a couple times. Back, I remember right after getting being uh, uh, I graduated from high school. There was an accusation of a teacher, in the there was a story in the paper about a teacher who was well, uh, without getting the 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 details, was very inappropriate with students, uh, and they were disciplined. Like there are ways to discipline. No, we don't. The teachers are that, fired. They're not fired willy nilly. That's that's the Ontario College of Teachers who will have done that. That no, kind they, of... can't, they, they would not have fired. The, it was the it was the board that fired them. The Ontario College of Teachers can only take away their license to teach. They can't Which is in them. effect, but that's in effect firing someone because once the license, they can no longer teach. Right? I don't think it would have been the board that terminated them until after that disciplinary process was done, and that's what we're dealing with. I, I think. I mean, the whole thing is such a mess. I, I do think the board handled it wrong at the outset in getting involved. Um, I think people of people understandably expect the board to be the one to to you know kind of lay down the law and say you know this is not good enough. Uh, I just I really don't think even if they have theoretical power, I don't think they have actual power to do anything significant. And that's why you will see ineffectual and vaguely worded statements about appropriate dress. If that's the case, then the board still screwing this up because they need to come out and say we don't have the power to do it. Like everything, I'm, the reason why I think it's a story is because the Halton District School Board is a coward to the nth degree on all of this. They're not willing to stand up and say no. There should be standards of dress for teachers to wear. Now they've said they've come in and wait and said no. We're going to. Put the uh, put the onus on it. The Ontario College of Teachers isn't going to 
like what what gets me is like if, if nobody else is going to stand up and say yeah it's our responsibility we are our bad we don't we didn't put it on there um then the Ontario the Halton District School Board should have stepped up and said you need to give us direction you need to, we're putting this on you we're going to re- refer, reference this to you to give us now they said that they have not done that they said nope we're going to we're going to hash out a policy of our own all all in all like the the process that they've done has been completely buggered. Like I personally, I'm saying, why not just come up with a policy of their own, write up a policy, say, no, we're going to take the student's policy that we're doing. And we're going to reference, we're going to impose the student dress code on the teachers, which is very reasonable. Like the, the student dress code is not prohibitive in any way. You And it would still give teachers flexibility to dress to their personality. And it would not, I don't think it would impose any infringement on trans trans teachers to dress how they they feel is appropriate um i think the why, why the halton district school says fine we're gonna we're gonna challenge this we're gonna put this out there and if we've overstepped our boundaries then you have to tell us that we did if the ontario college teacher says thing- no 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 it's our, it's our it's our responsibility fine but you have to do it yeah so sure. i get mean, all the flack and i'm like why are but, you why are you taking all the i think heat? what my understanding of the kind of chronology here is that yeah, again, the board is the board is not a unified entity. The board is the professional staff on one side and the and the trustees on the other. The professional staff didn't want to do anything, and I believe kind of made various statements to the effect that they couldn't do anything. Um, maybe not. I don't put words in their mouth. My understanding was kind of saying, you know, we don't want to touch this. Um, the trustees themselves, you know trustees being elected and never wanting to miss the opportunity to um to you know show off uh voted in the majority to sort of force the the professional staff um to come up with some kind of thing well now you've got staff who don't want to do something being forced to do something um and so what do they do they come up with something well most positive way of putting it is is that that um you know and i saw this at, at the council level as well that um, they will bring forward something that is consistent with the law at, at a minimum. Um, and so if it's weak and ineffectual, it may be A, because that's the best you can do within the law as they understand it. And it can also be that because they don't like what they've been told to do, they're deliberately undermining it. I'm not saying that's what they're doing. I'm just saying that's something that can happen in other circumstances. I suspect it's a combination of all of the above. Um you know, so they have this draft thing, which will go to the trustees, and the trustees can then, you know, posture and have their say uh, to no great end. And the conservative ones will say conservative things, and the other ones will say other things, and it will be no further forward. But that this is school board one hundred and one. You know, um, yeah. I mean, I think it's a it's a stu- it's a stupid business. But I, if I had to guess, and I don't know, um, that would be kind of what's gone on here is, is, is that division between the board trustees and the, the, the employed administrative people at the board, um, basically kind of facing off over this um, as to what's possible and, and what they actually want to do. Um, and on the whole, I'll probably side with the professionals over the trustees as a rule, but you know, um, I don't know in this case. I just suspect that this will be a. In the in the end, this is going to turn into uh, 
that's just it's just going to paint the Halton District School Board in a bad light. It'll be. I mean, you can you can complain about the the system as it is all you want, it, it, and it, there's that's open criticism, that's valid criticism. But the system is what we have. We have to work with what we have. Um, I like it. This is I don't understand why the bo- the board has turned this into such an issue. I think I ultimately I think that they do have the power to implement a dress code. I think they are tiptoeing around because they are afraid of. They're they're ultimately afraid of stepping on the rights of transgender teachers to express themselves fully, which is a valid concern, but I also think it's not, but clearly not having one has caused more of a problem. Like you've, you've got to step step in and say, these are, this is, this is the boundaries. This is the limits of what we're going to have. I, here's the thing. If there is no other board, college teachers don't have a policy ministry is not going to impose a policy. None of this is being done. Then the Halton district school board has a right, has a chance to be a leader here. And in my opinion, they have dropped this every step of the way. They could have shown that they are a progressive school board. They are one, especially in light of their mirror board and the Catholic system that you and I have talked about with their ongoings with pride flag and, and their issues. The whole district could have shown that we're we are the progressive option. We're we're the we're the not antiquated option in the marketplace of Ontario education. And it said they hit in. They did, they've dropped this ball repeatedly, 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 and they've allowed in the uh, in the absence of actual leadership on this. Uh, and this is why I'm concerned is that they've allowed the convoy yahoos to start dictating the terms of this, and. In that case, nobody's going to win on this. We're not. We're not going to get a, a clearly defined outcome, or we're going to get real a real solution to this. We're just going to get more antics and rhetoric until somebody just says, "No, enough's enough. This is the this is the way it is. Take it or leave it. If you don't like it, leave." Um. Oh, I'll say one thing. I'd be surprised if if anybody get out out progressive the uh, the uh, school boards of this province. I mean, is it likely that 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 in a desire to treat a, a, a trans member of staff fairly, they would fall over themselves to to a ridiculous degree? Uh, yeah, I think that's that's possible. I, I don't necessarily think that that's at all the issue here. Um, I think it's a it's it's a it's a mess of jurisdiction where nobody um, nobody. <laughs> Yeah, the, the power doesn't lie in any one simple place to take the kind of quick decisive action that the public wants to see, um, either to just get rid of this issue, which would be my preference, um, you know, and, and to lay down the obvious, sensible course of action. The, 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 the way that member of staff dressed on at least one occasion, given the public images, uh, was completely inappropriate. Um, Nobody knows the facts of the event uh, of the events well enough to know that person is still dressing that way. I mean, we've heard that they are. I don't know if that's true. Um, but I, I, I think we're expecting too much of the board. The, you know, they've been they've been the trustees said go and form a policy. They said we can't form a policy. Said so do it anyway. So they come back with a policy going. Well, we we'd like it if people dressed appropriately. 
And everybody's going, well, that's a crap policy. It's like, well, no shit, Sherlock. We told you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> um, fun, so yeah. they can't win. I think they're caught in a, in a complete no-win situation. And then, as usual, the trustees have waded into something that they're completely incapable of, of handling properly and made an even bigger hash of it. I wouldn't put that at the doorstep of the staff, though, to be honest. Maybe not, but what I, I guess what frustrates me as a, as a podcaster covering this is that we've asked the board to come on and say, can you explain this? Like, let's like give, give us the, the situation and nobody wants, they don't want to talk about it. And that's what I think is frustrating is that they're doing this all in, it's, it's almost like they're, they're doing it in camera. Like they're doing this behind closed doors. And when they open no, the door I mean, and set the public in, the public's like, okay, we want this. And like, we can, and it's just, okay, you know what? You're going to have to make, take an action at some point. Um, explain the situation. And that's just very sad. On that note, let's just yeah. bring this one to an end. Um, take a break and we'll be back in a second with the uh, second half of the episode. And we're back. And another story that we've talked about numerous times before in this on this podcast, but it, uh, it is not going away, is the saga of the Highway 413. Um, in the in this weekend on the Toronto Star, they had a big big write up on uh, basically that the environmental assessment for the Highway 413 it's going to cost millions of dollars to do um, and possibly have to do over most because uh, this province has spent about thirty five million dollars over sixteen years assessing this project and the Ford government tried to push it ahead until somebody realized you actually haven't done a proper assessment of what this highway could do to the, uh, to the land, um, which is kind of typical of how this government operates uh, at this point. I think we, we you know this is, this is not surprising that they really, you know, again, those rules and regulations, those pesky rules and regulations that the rest of us have to follow. Well, how dare they get in the way of a good business deal going through? Um, yeah, it, it's it, but basically, um, the article in the, in the Toronto Star was saying that the environmental costs of this uh, have not accurately accurately been uh, analyzed by the province. The federal government has chimed in and said we're concerned about the carbon emissions that would erupt from the uh, from the. I guess, I guess when they say the carbon emissions, they're talking about like if the once the highway is built and all the cars and trucks are traveling on it, what will the carbon emissions bring to the region, uh, which they're saying it's going to cost, uh, you know, one estimate was 196,000 tons of greenhouse gases, uh, which is a lot, uh, into the, into the region. Um, not to mention it would, the, the vulnerable at risk species that would lose their habitats, possibly, you know, we'd wipe them out as well from the construction of the, uh, of, of the highway. Like a lot of this stuff was not calculated by the Ford government when they were pushing ahead of, we're going to build this, this highway. Nobody had done this, this in-depth analysis. It was very, very sugar-coated uh, uh, and whatnot. Mostly because uh, the previous liberal and Kathleen Wynne governments had started the assessment, but in, I believe in uh, since 2018, the liberal government uh, basically discussed that, they were told, you know, it's going to cost all this much right from our initial assessment. And the Kathleen Wynne decided 
nope, we're not doing this. We're going to stop the project right here and there. And so, yeah, once that was decision was made, no more assessments were done because that would just be a waste of tax dollars. Um, Are liberals not wasting tax dollars? Surely some mistake. <laughs> maybe, but I think in this case, you know, the, the liberal government said they got the initial look back uh, uh, from the, and they said it's going to cost us this much in terms of environmental impact and the wind government just said okay that's too much for us we're we're not we're not we're not cool with this just stop the project stop the assessments we've made our decision we're not moving forward with it so let's not the all the other stuff that has to come afterwards just stop we don't need to waste our money with that decisions made and then flash forward to Doug Ford coming says oh let's you know they did the assessment okay let's move ahead it's like no they did like the the first paragraph of the assessment and you still need to do the rest of it, which right now the Trudeau government is saying, we'll do it. And from what we're, they're looking at, it doesn't look good. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 this government makes a decision. I mean, it makes it, it decides what it wants to do and then it tries to justify it. And all governments, I mean, to be fair to this government, all governments do that to an extent. However, most are, um, they recognize the re- reality of the situation is that environmental assessments have to be done because if you don't do them, you've just given a massive tool to your opponents um, to to find reasons to stop you. Um, so, I mean, the, the, the Ontario Liberals um, basically, you know, avoided the environmental assessment by having an expert panel say, no one wants this road. Um there's no demand for it. The way the pro- the province is growing, don't, don't need it. Um, uh, so let's not build it. And, and kind of, you know, environmental assessments are a huge and very long, uh, years and years long process. Um, so avoiding that was, was kind of smart. Um, Ford just wants to build it and they're, then I'm going to give a damn about any of that. Um, they're just going to do it, or they're going to say they can do it. Anyway, I'm going to, I'll make a prediction. You know uh, that I usually don't do, um, but this is my prediction that I'm ninety percent confident of, and that is the four one three will never be built because one way or the other, either through a change of government or by the federal government basically finding a way to stop it, it will be stopped. Um, because if 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 they have to do the environmental assessment now, that's going to take the rest of this term at least. Um, the environmental assessment will find that it's a disastrous, and it will find all the things that were found before that 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 it's not needed, that it, that it's absolutely the wrong thing, that there's already a highway that is not used to anything like capacity that exists, and that the the that this is just a way of opening up land to to development industry. I mean, obviously they'll find that because it's so obviously what this is all about. Well, um, I mean, that's exactly it. I mean, this is this the more the more actions that this government, this current uh, Ontario government undertakes, the more the more what you just said becomes blatantly true. Like it, they, this, this government basically is in the pocket of big business uh and their interests like no this is a highway that nobody asked for no nobody 
it's except not a, the developers. Except well, they except are the, the developers. only entity. Yeah, you're the only ones who've been pushing for this. Nobody else has said, you know, we really need uh, relief off. I mean, everybody says we need relief, and we need relief off the off congestion on, on our highways. But nobody said, let's build a highway. I mean, I'm looking at the, a map of it right now. I'm like, I you build this highway. I don't know who honestly would use it. I really don't. Like, I don't know. Like, I have no purpose to take this 413 anywhere because you go up and around Brampton, up around Vaughn, and you hook up to the 400. Maybe if I'm going up to Muskoka, it might save a couple, maybe a couple minutes off my route. Um, well, I guess not- people in Mississauga going up to Cottage Country might appreciate it. Um, but, but yeah, well, until you build the houses, it has no function until the developers get their hands on it. Right. And it will have lots of function because like the 401, but that's not how we're meant to be building roads anymore. That's putting the cart before the horse. You're, you're putting the cart there uh, and then saying, well, we better go and buy a horse then, which in this case is a gazillion uh, single family homes. Um, if that's not kind of a weird metaphor there, but you know, well, you, get, you get what I'm saying. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the, in the Toronto Star article, this is something you and I were talking about just before we, we logged on here. Um, there's two, they have two uh, uh, individuals. One, one basically says what we just said. Um, Eric Miller, of um, uh, research director for the U- University of Toronto, who studies travel modeling groups, um, basically says it's just bad, bad policy. It's a development play. We've seen this with the Greenbelt announcement as well. The only people who benefit from this are the developers who are making a whack of money with low density suburban housing who own this land. Contrast that with. Murtaza Hader, who's a professor of data, data science and real estate management at uh, Toronto Metropolitan University, uh, says the region has increased significantly, is significantly in population over the past four decades, which ultimately requires an increase in the expansion of infrastructure, he said in an email to the Star. Public transit is neither efficient nor reliable in parts of the region where this highway will be passing through. And uh, yeah, he's right, but I, I say that's, this is what the four. This entire argument is what the four hundred seven was supposed to alleviate. Uh, you know, 30, 25, 20 to thirty years ago, I can't remember exactly when the four hundred seven was built, but this is the this is the exact term. Oh, it's going to relieve, alleviate all the traffic and all the congestion on the four hundred one. We build that, and the four hundred one will just you'll just sail on through. Flash forward thirty years, folks. That ain't the case. Um, probably because the four hundred seven costs a fortune to drive on. So you know that's a big uh uh that's a big caveat that people that nobody wants to mention but you know maybe may address that issue and take out that that problem and we've got a uh and you might be able to really solve the traffic on the 401 instead of just let's just build another you know and like we can't just have the same solution of oh we have traffic on on our highways let's just build another highway Okay, so what happens when the four thirteen gets backed up with with congestion? What are we going What are we going to do then? Yeah, I mean it, it's brain dead. Um, I mean the comment that you know parts the parts where where this road goes through don't have good transport. I can tell you why that is. No one lives there. Yes, I know. It's rural <laughs> I Ontario. Know. I know. <laughs> That's the other thing. I mean, if you look at the map, you know you have. It's, it's literally nothing south of it, but you're right. Like to the north of it, there's nothing there. It's all farmland. Which and I can't see if you lived in Brampton. Uh, 
when they build the houses, yeah. But the, when they build the houses, they'll also bring in bus routes and they'll bring in all those other things, or they should do. Um, you know, this is a road with which has no purpose until the houses are built. Um, it's it basically runs through the vast majority of Ontario's remaining white belt, um, which for the last twenty years we've been saying we should avoid building on at all costs. Um, because we should be looking at increased density instead. Um, and, I mean, I can't even bother going through the arguments of induced demands. Is there anybody listening to this to this podcast who doesn't know the arguments of induced demand already? If you don't know under, understand the idea of induced demands, go and look at the 401 and count the lanes and, and say, if you add another two lanes to it, is it going to fix the problem? No, of course not. Uh, pe- people, bodies, take up transport to the capacity, to the level of capacity available. Um, unless they're stopped by something else like extortionate fees. Here, here's my um, here's my question with the 413, because right now in Toronto, um, a big problem that downtown businesses are facing, and this is happening across the, G, the 905, is post-COVID, you're seeing less and less people uh, coming into their downtown cores. Especially in Toronto, uh, the just people are saying, "No, I'm, I after COVID, I am working from home from now on. I do not want to get on the go train. I do not want to get on the four hundred one, the four hundred three, the QEW, and commute into my job. I want I want to work at home. Nobody's like this. This the assessments that we're, we're facing are and all the data that we've accumulated, like the, the last gentleman that we've accumulated to say, "Oh, we need this highway." Has nobody said like what, what exactly is the commute uh, or how many people are coming into the downtown core? Like building a highway that goes around the north of the 905, north of the GTA, you know, because, oh, we have so much traffic. It's like, do we now? Like, I don't know. I, I have not been on a highway. I don't commute anymore. I have no uh, idea. And I, I suspect there's a good, number of, like, like, like good numbers of us who are, who are like-minded. I mean, the roads are still very busy. Um, whether total traffic is down at all, I don't know. I mean, I do think there are, you know, I think I think we can all speak to the fact that there is a lot more working from home going on, but uh, most people still have a mixture of, of, of at home and in the office work. And there's no, obviously millions of people who don't have a choice to have to go somewhere to, to do their job. But this goes against everything that intelligent uh intelligent design no that's not that's not a phrase i want to use that's a wrong (laughs) issue wrong topic intelligent um thinkers planners scientists have all said um for decades and decades now um um you know the the argument back in the day was there should have you know we should have built the Spadina Expressway and now we'd have a uh, we'd have a a third ugly road to go along with the Don Valley Parkway and and the Gardener when you know you cannot tell me that Toronto wouldn't be just as successful and but a far more beautiful city if none of those roads had been built um, and other other means of getting people around to be investigated in, instead. Um, it's not even like it's cheap. I mean, how many billions, how many, many billions of dollars are we talking about for this thing? Um, 
think what you could build by way of public transport with that kind of amount. Um, 14, okay, well, I'm trying to find the, the uh, something like 13 billion, isn't it? Is that something yeah, I think that the, amount last number? estimate I've heard is about 13 yeah. billion. It's starting to be corrected, but it, it's a huge number for, for, for a road. Um, uh, which basically the primary thing that that would do is that, that every planning meeting in, in, in the cities of Vaughan and Markham and <clears throat> Milton, when the developers turn up, they say, well, hey, we've got this road now. Um, you've got the, we've got all this infrastructure. We should be really build, be building next to infrastructure, you know, because that's the wise and sensible thing to do. Was, you know, ignoring the fact that if the infrastructure wasn't there, you wouldn't have that argument. I mean, it's, it's all of, fucking con uh, the way this province works from beginning to end and i can just imagine the meetings now with the 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 frankly slimy and dishonest arguments that that, that get taken to uh, town councils when when uh, people are making arguments for building and then are taken to guess where the uh, ontario municipal board the ontario planning appeals tribunal or whatever the frigate's called um uh you know, it's like they're creating an excuse to build, basically, uh, at the cost of $13 billion. And, yeah, give $13 billion to new uh, rail links or, or um, light rail projects or, mm-hmm. uh, or, God damn it, healthcare. I mean, Jesus, can you imagine that, that kind of sum put into healthcare? Um, that's I mean, that's transformative amounts of money, you know. Well, that's the thing that thirteen billion dollars put into healthcare, put into our schools, uh, put into. You're right. Like, what if they just hand over three billion of that, hand it over to the cities in the nine hundred five to make up for the the lack of development charges that they'll be recuperating now, or, or, uh, or to and, to invest in in better bus services to oh my God, free up you. free up free up the the ridiculous. Non-competitive bus, bus system bus, we have here. Bus services, uh, uh, you know, better uh, intensification downtown. But you know, better parks and amenities. Like there's a, there's a ton of more creative ways we could be spending this money rather than the e- quick, easy uh, spend thirteen billion dollars on a wasted highway, so that a handful of already billionaire developers can profit off of land that is essentially. Um, I don't want to say useless, but I mean, it, it, it's, it's there. It's meant to be like, you know, carbon sink. It's meant to be farmland. It's meant to be anything other than just another sprawl for a McMansion to, uh, to, for them to sell uh, for a bottom line in that particular fiscal year. This is what, what we're facing here is a, ultimately is a lack of imagination, which I'm not surprised on part of this government. I mean, this government has no, imagination in terms of development, uh, not development, in terms of policy or in terms of governance of this province. Uh, it's just, it's a sad, pathetic state of affairs, I'm afraid. And on that I, note, I, well, as just, well, the final note is, Jack. yeah, I'll just quickly repeat. I don't think it's going to be built, but I would say to environmentalists listening to this, to, to look at the career of, uh, of Daniel Mark Hooper, um, a British environmentalist from the UK, better known by the name Swampy, <laughs> who in the 1990s uh, got evicted from various tunnels that he had dug uh, in an attempt to stop a bypass. And, um, and 
basically how uh, successful a certain amount of civil disobedience was at stopping road development in the UK. Um, Just saying, I'm not saying it's the right thing to do. I'm just saying civil disobedience works, man. Sometimes. I I don't think we need to do that. I think like this, here's the thing, this government, especially they, they, they talk about all these plans. They do have a tendency of just screwing it up. Like I, I, Maybe in the end we're just we're just tooting our own horn because we got nothing better to do. But I, I I do wonder will this province actually be this government actually be able to follow through on this plan? Only because they do not have a history of success on anything. Um, like I'm trying to think of a success story, and I'm just, I'm honestly drawing a blank. Even the the best stuff that they're hoping to to pull off has been met has been mired in uh, accusations or just. Uh, you know, it's just mucked about. So, I, I think this will become the. It has to become the 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 the, the battleground where where either governments are stopped from from this ridiculous idea that you just build roads forever, or not. But I, I I'm confident it will never be built. Um, that would be my guess. Could be wrong, but we'll see. Time will tell. All right, folks, that's it for this week uh, or for this Tuesday. We'll see you on Thursday. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's it for this episode of the 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns or ideas for future episodes to our email info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.